All right, good morning. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Matthew's Gospel. We're going to finish chapter 9 and go right into chapter 10. And the way this works out very lovely uh, because of the, the topic uh, here that begins in verse 35. And uh, we'll probably just get down through the 15th verse of chapter 10, but let's open our Bibles to chapter 9, look at verse 35, and we're just going to read through that, and then we'll go back and take a look a little bit deeper here. So notice Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 35, notice it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him... He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and brother, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand." Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver, no copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staves, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy And stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city." So, Lord, we just give you thanks uh, for this passage of Scripture, and Lord, we pray that, God, you would just rightly divide it for us and and help us to see the practical application in it for our own lives. And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Excuse me. So, Jesus now is going to be focusing on his... 12 disciples whom he has called previously, and now he's going to send them out. And that is a normal thing for us as we, when we came to Christ, uh, the Lord didn't just save us so that we would go to heaven. That's certainly the, the big part for us, but he also has something that he wants to do in and through us to those around us. So he saved us, no, no doubt, and, and now we are glory-bound, no longer uh, confined to the sentence of hell that was on us, on every human being, but now we're going to heaven. But he says, now I have, another, I have something for you to do. And isn't it true? Well, you know, the Lord has a plan for each of our lives, and it is our great joy and pleasure to find out what that is, to go out and to serve him in whatever capacity he has given us. And for some of us, and in fact, I believe all of us, based on the scriptures, God has given us many things, and some of us have yet to discover what it is, spiritual gifts even, and some have more than one spiritual gift. 
And these things are for the benefit of all, not just for us. It's not even about us anymore. It's all about Jesus, right? And that's why Christmas is so wonderful, because we can kind of right the ship that's been steering off every year. Every year, it just keeps going in a different direction. And thank God for Christians, because we're the only ones that are saying, hey, wait a minute, there's nothing wrong with getting presents and having drinking eggnog and all that stuff. That's all fun. I mean, who doesn't like cakes and cookies and presents? I mean, that's all fine and good, but let's steer the ship and let's get it back on course because who is it really all about? It's about Christ. You can't take the Christ out of Christmas. The world is doing a very good job of it, by the way. But he has called us into this world that we might be a light to everyone around us, to our families, to our friends, to our uh, co-workers, those in, we go to school for other students. He's called us to be lights. And he called us out for a purpose. It it is wrong for us to continually take in and take in and take in. And you've seen those pictures of the very fat elder sheep. (laughs) And I don't say that because uh, of it for any reason, but I'm a fat elder sheep. I'm older, and actually I could lose some weight, but I'm not going to do it over the next couple weeks. But anyway, I can be a fat sheep. I've taken in so much, and I've been enriched so incredibly much, and I am very thankful. But now, as a result of what I have been given, just as Jesus said here to his disciples, he says, freely you have, been, you have received, now freely give out. We have to give out. It's like, remember that um, illustration that I have shared with you before about the Dead Sea and, and, and the Galilee. From up in the northern part of, of, of Israel, there's the Mount Hermon, and then there's a small little Jordan, the Upper Jordan River, and then it empties out, all those snowy waters empty out into the Sea of Galilee, and then that, that, that Sea of Galilee, which is fresh water, continues to go down the Jordan Valley and finally becomes landlocked in the Dead Sea. And see, you and I, We need to be like the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, where we receive from above and we give out from underneath. And it must be that way. Otherwise, we become like the Dead Sea. We become like that fat sheep who is no longer going out and sharing the good news, no longer willing to talk about Jesus in a culture that has completely eradicated him from everything, including the school system, everything. He's taken it out. You know, the world has taken Christ out of the picture. We need to be like the, like the Sea of Galilee. We receive and then we give. And finally, Jesus now is doing the same thing with his disciples. Notice, verse 35, says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. Underline these three things for me. Underline the word teaching, underline the word preaching, and underline the word healing. <laughs> So he went about all the cities and villages, notice, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Notice the threefold ministry of Jesus. Certainly teaching, expounding the scripture, revealing to us God's nature, teaching not only the history of God's dealing with his people, the history of Israel, and also God's plan of redemption and the moral and the spiritual and practical lessons that we can be gleaned, that can be gleaned from God's word. So teaching, and then finally preaching, or secondarily preaching. And that's exhortation to holiness and a change of thinking, a change of heart. It's speech that is meant to bring about what? Repentance. That's what preaching is. I'm exhorting you about something. I can be either teaching you or preaching to you. And here we do both. And hopefully healing too. Which is not only the physical but the spiritual healing of a person or persons or a nation. And Jesus did all of those things. And we continue to do those things. But notice in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes... Notice he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And see, unlike the false religious leaders in Israel at that time, Jesus is the good shepherd. Notice that I said he is the good shepherd. He wasn't, 
you know, I don't want to speak of him in the past tense because he was the good shepherd. He is still the good shepherd because he's still using us. He's still guiding you and I in and out of pasture. He's still doing things in our life. He's still arranging things in our life. Is he Lord of our life? Is he not in control of all the things around us? And aren't the angels ministering spirits to aid those who are the heirs of salvation? Aren't they active in our world and in our life? Yes, they are. God is very much concerned about our lives. In Ezekiel 34, you know, as Jesus saw these people like a sheep without a shepherd, in Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 11, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among Uh, On the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture. And their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel, and there they shall lie down in, good, in a good fold and feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Jesus, the good shepherd always seeking us out. And I'm so thankful because he sought me out when I didn't want to be sought out. Can any of you relate to that? I wasn't even looking for him when he visited me in my sin and in my decrepitness. In my moral depravity, God visited me. I didn't ask him. He invaded my life. He didn't ask for permission. And I'm really glad he didn't. And for most of us, that's true. He speaks And if my ears and my heart are open, I will listen. And it would behoove me to listen to God. Amen? We need to listen to God. He is our master. He's our creator. He's our savior. He's our king. Why wouldn't I want to listen to this one who died in my place when he was perfect and I was not? He took my place on Calvary and he took your place. That deserves all of my being, all of my worship. It deserves everything that I have. I'm like, God, I am yours now. You do with my life whatever you will and help me just to enjoy the ride. And can I tell you, it's a wonderful and glorious ride. I've never been more blessed in all my life. Even happy. I'm even, even, I'm even happy. Because <laughs> we know happiness can be dependent upon circumstances. But I'm even happy. But there's joy in my heart because I know who I am. I know who he is. I know where I'm going and I don't deserve it. And that grace has changed my life. That's why grace changes everything. It changes everything. Jesus is the true shepherd. He sees these people who have been following him for days And they're not even concerned about their food or their lodging. And he looks out and he sees them and he cares for them. In John chapter 10, it says, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. They know his voice. He is the example. He doesn't just say, do what I say. He says, follow me and do as I do. And there, folks, is the difference between religion in the world and a relationship with Christ. The religions of the world say, you've got to follow the strict rules of, you know, of etiquette you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And if you don't, I'm going to kick you out. But if you write a big check, well, everything can be overlooked. See, that's the world, but that's not Christ. That's not Christianity, or at least it shouldn't be. Jesus goes on in that same John's chapter 10 and verse 7, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me, uh, actually, I think I just read that, didn't I? No, I didn't. Um, Verse 8, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. I'm the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The scribes and the Pharisees were not concerned about giving their life for anybody. They weren't concerned about anything but um, their, their popularity gaining and their pocketbooks being lined with more money. And folks, we see that even in the church today. In the Christian church, this ought not to ever happen in the Christian church, in any church. It's not about money. Yes, we need money to pay the bills and to send out you know, to uh, other missions that we support and all of that, but, and that's all fine and good, but it's not about money. That's why you don't hear us talking about money. It's the thing I don't really don't want to talk about because I, I believe if we're doing the right thing, God's going to take care of things, and he does. But not them. They were focused on fleecing the people. But Jesus said the hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one who comes for us. And he sees these people, they're they're needy, and their need, notice, was irresistible to Jesus. When Jesus sees a genuine need, you become irresistible to him. Because he looks upon you with, with 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 a father's heart, with a shepherd's heart. He doesn't enjoy seeing you go through pain. And discomfort. The Lord cares what you're going through. You know, there are three families this week that have lost somebody in their family. Three families who have lost someone. And how are they feeling today? They're hurting. Does Jesus care? Yeah, he does. He does care. And there may be times, folks, and you know this, where you feel all alone and that you feel like nobody cares, but God cares. And the people of God in this fellowship, they care. We care. And when we find our hearts getting cold, let's pray and say, Lord, help me to be caring. Because we're not always there, because we can certainly fail each other from time to time. Have you ever done that? in a time of real need from somebody's life and you just you weren't there you were checked out you were busy you're whatever being selfish and yet there are times when you know these things come into our life and and God is very much aware and he cares and and we ought to care but we need to be like this more today we need to have compassion like this that Christ had to these people we need compassion we need love and kindness mercy and grace Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, But I say unto you, uh, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. Isn't it easy to be angry today? All the things that are happening, it's very easy for us to not be compassionate, to not be kind. I fear the church has gotten uh, angry. Many of us, you know, we, we focused way too much on politics. And I'm not saying that those things aren't important, but those things can destroy you if you're not careful because then we get angry at the other side, whatever other side that is, and then we, we, we cease to love those people even though Christ loves them still. We, we have built up walls, and we can't do that. We've got to break those walls down. We cannot continue And I understand, and you know the Lord understands what we're going through as a country, but folks, we got to love each other, and we got to love no matter who it is. That's our mandate. That's our great privilege. Because guess what? All of this stuff is going to perish. It's important, don't get me wrong, it is very important. However, it is all one day going to perish, and the only thing that's going to matter is where that person, where those people are going to spend their eternity. And they're not going to get to heaven because they're one party or another. They're going to only get to heaven because they are a Christian and the Spirit of God has indwelt them. That's the only way you're going to get to heaven. Matthew 24 says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And I don't want that to be me, and I know that the Lord doesn't want you to be that way either. That's why we need to have compassion, like Jesus had compassion as he looked upon them. He could have been indifferent. Any other man might have said, you know what, these people got to find some place to eat and a place to stay. 
And that's their problem. <laughs> How many times? Two times it's recorded in the scripture where Jesus provided for them miraculously for food. When he knew that the hour had long passed for them to secure those things for themselves. Is that what a good shepherd does? You better believe it. He leads them into, into the green pasture beside the still waters. Speaking of sustenance, the very natural, physical stuff. Does he care about your physical life? Yes, he does. Does he care about your spiritual life? Of course he does. He carries about the whole thing. Not one or the other. Obviously, one's more important than the other. But we don't want to be vicious like the world. Notice verse 37. He said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And the church has never had so many helpers that we, they had to be turned away. There's that old adage, what is it? Many hands make light work. Many hands make light work. But God can certainly use a, a small remnant to turn the world upside down. He did that with his 12 disciples. But the work of the kingdom of God has often been done with very few. And the Lord is looking for laborers. He's looking for servants. Not just to clean and make the church presentable, but to, make, uh, but to be the hands and the feet in, the, in our families, the communities, our workplaces, schools, wherever we can be useful. Helping others, certainly showing compassion and grace, but also keeping the gospel at the center of it all. See, we could be humanitarian and feed the mouth of the hungry, but if we don't give them the truth of the word of God, then they perish. Do you understand? And so all of these things are important, and God is very important about, he's very concerned about all of it but we mustn't just feed the hungry tummy and not give them the truth of the word of god that is what saves them but because of compassion because of grace we help them out with those needful things too that is so spiritual folks it really is sometimes the most spiritual things are the very physical things the very obvious things right in front of us and if we miss it, then we missed it. But God wants to send us out. That doesn't mean that you have to go to Africa. It doesn't mean that you have to go overseas. Are you willing to go out from where you're at right now? I mean, from in your job. I mean, obviously you can't preach while you're on the job. You've got a thing to do. But what about lunch hours? What about those times where you're on a break and somebody's talking? Do you try, do you seek ways to infuse the truth of the Word of God, to infuse Christ into those things? And obviously, you may not do it all the time, but as you're led by the Spirit, are you willing to do it? And some people are like, you know what, I just I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to be labeled one of them. I don't want to be labeled a G. Jesus freak, a fundamental pre-trib, you know, uh, believer. <laughs> I don't want any trouble here. Are you willing to be a servant? Are you willing to be a disciple? Verse 38, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So in this context, obviously, Jesus is speaking about getting out and sharing the gospel outside the four walls of the church and our homes. And notice, it's praying to him to send out laborers because he's the one who touches hearts. He's the one who touches hearts and gives that person the grace and the mission, if you will, the commission to go out and whatever it is. The Lord called me out of the workplace very clearly. I was doing my own thing and he called me. He commissioned me out of that and I didn't go abroad. I stayed right here in the same city, but he called me out. And you may be called to stay right where you're at, but to share the truth. Because, folks, everyone in these workplaces need to hear the truth. And if you're not there, they're not going to be able to hear. So don't feel like you've got to come into a church and be, every, you know, we're all in full-time ministry. It just, it happens differently and looks differently in all the places that we are scattered. But we need that because that's where the people are. But are you willing to be one of those laborers? 
And this is something that we need to pray about and continue to do even through the days, even though the days are getting darker and there's even greater hatred against the church. What did it say, Jesus say in John chapter 4? He says, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this... This, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And I love that agrarian uh, simple idea that he gives there, that illustration. And there's some of you who are farmers here today or have a farm or live on a farm. And so you understand even more what Jesus is talking about. Isn't it the most joyful thing and the most exhilarating thing to lead somebody to Christ? Have you ever had the opportunity? Have you taken it upon yourself to talk to somebody about that? Is it uncomfortable? Yes, it can be uncomfortable. Sometimes it takes time to earn the right. People aren't numbers on our belt. They're not numbers on our doorposts or whatever, or on our bedposts. They're not numbers. They are people that God loves, and we need to treat them with respect, and we need to treat them in love. And my approach to people can either win them to Christ or it can turn them off completely. And so I need to ask, Lord, change me and help me to be that right person. Help me not to be abrasive. Help me not to just walk in and say, all right, you people. Sit down. I'm going to talk to you right now. And you, you, don't slither away. Get back. I'm going to tell you about Christ. You know, and then we get this attitude and we get angry and we preach the gospel as if God is angry. And we start yelling at them. (laughs) Sign me up, please. Who's going to want that? Nobody. Can we just be real? Can't we just be real with people? Remember who you were. Remember how somebody approached you. Maybe you could approach somebody else better than the way you were perhaps approached. I was approached in such a wonderful way. Very gentle, very sincere. It was a sincere person who approached me and was able to tell me that I was a sinner and going to hell. But there was a remedy And he told me about Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. And I tell you, the way in which he spoke it to me, I didn't feel offended. I mean, inside I was wounded, of course, but I wasn't offended at the delivery. And yet he told me all of those things that are very difficult. So my candor, the way I presented myself, my nonverbal communication, all that matters. And so I need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to be very natural about this, but empower me supernaturally. So that when I speak to somebody, they know that I really care about them. I'm not here to just put a notch on my my bedpost at night. Got another one. He didn't didn't receive it, but he heard it, and he's going to die if he doesn't. We can't be like that. Jesus was never like that. His compassion and love melted people. And boy, the church, we need to return to that. Because we become so callous, and we become so hateful. And so angry. And I'll be honest with you that that is true of myself. For those of you who know me, you know that I've been struggling for a while over different things. But that's true of me. And I know it. And it must change. I am tired of feeling that way. How do we do that? How do I have that heart of compassion when I'm frustrated and angry about what's happening and where the world is going? Well, remember, I have to remind myself the Lord told us these things were going to happen, and now we see them happening, and now we're building the walls and getting angry. Rather, we ought to be sharing and loving and knowing that, you know what, Lord, don't know how much time we have on this earth, but I'm going to use it. Now I'm going to use it, and I want to be the most loving. And I'll be honest with you, for some of you, I haven't been as loving as I could be, and I apologize for that. You've seen me frustrated. I've talked to you privately. You've seen my anger because I'm a patriot. But I'm also a Christian. 
first and foremost, over all of the nationality, I got to be that first. So I want to encourage you in that. But Paul, <laughs> he says, I planted, in 1 Corinthians 3, he's, he says, I planted an Apollos water, but God gave the increase. And so then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one, notice, will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building, and according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is Christ Jesus that's the foundation we need to to lay not about politics not about anything else again are, are those things important yes please don't misunderstand me those things are important elections have consequences that is all true however we need to keep the main thing the main thing and we need to focus more on that in addition to the other stuff, but focus on Christ and getting his name out there in the gospel to share it. And we are wherever you are, be a light in this dark, dying world. Who's, to those individuals whose minds the God of this age has blinded. And didn't Jesus speak to his disciple in that upper room on that Sunday evening of his resurrection? What did he say to them? Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And here's the, the commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age. Aren't you glad that you're not alone in this? If I was alone in all this, it'd be a pretty bad pill. But guess what? God is with me. He is Emmanuel. Isn't that the name, the meaning of the name Emmanuel? God with us. He's with you. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. The very spirit of God indwells you. And folks, you have got something that is incredible, something amazing that the natural man does not have. Something amazing that can change things in a minute. One guy filled with the Spirit of God can speak to 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost and those people get saved. And you could have that same person not filled with the Spirit of God and it lands on the ground right in front of him and nothing happens. No change happens. Bah, but one person who is filled with the Spirit of God can change. Oh my goodness. You and I are a force to be reckoned with. Why? Because the Spirit of God in us. Not me. I'm nothing. But the Spirit of God in me, God can do anything. Didn't Paul say that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But Paul had this understanding. Remember, in Acts 26, he was recounting to Agrippa, the King Agrippa at Caesarea there, in, uh, in Israel, he says, At midday, O king, when the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me, and those who journeyed with me, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who are you are persecuting? But notice what the Lord tells him, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. And I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And therefore, King Agrippa, I was not obedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance. That was Paul's exclamation before this king. 
I have been called for this reason, for this purpose. And he would say in Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Notice that Paul was faithful to carry out the commission that God had given to him in Acts chapter 9, at his conversion on the road to Damascus. He had such a powerful awakening within his soul. He says, Lord, I am gonna, I'm going to follow you with all my heart, and you do with my life whatever you desire. And boy, was he going to do it. God was going to do it. In Romans 1, he says, I'm a debtor to both the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. Notice, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Notice he said to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. Are we ashamed of the gospel? There have been times that I've been ashamed of the gospel. Are we willing to be a laborer and go out into the harvest planting seeds, watering the ground, reaping the harvest? Are you willing to invite your neighbors and other other individuals, your other friends to church? Have you asked them? Verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and, and disease. And by this time in Jesus' ministry, all of the disciples had been called previously, and now he was going to send them out. And when we look at um, the disciples, they were called in a very interesting order. We know that Philip was called first in, in John chapter 1, verse 43, and then immediately after him, Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, was called. And then after that, James and John, Zebedee's sons, they were called. And then finally, Matthew the tax collector, he was called by Jesus specifically. And then in Mark chapter 3, the previously named disciples that we just looked at were listed, but then in addition to that, now there was Bartholomew, the same as Nathaniel, Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, the same as Labaius, Simon the Canaanite, and certainly Judas Iscariot. And now here in chapter 10, those previously called disciples, now he gathers them together and he sends them out. And notice, he sends them out um, uh, two by two. And we'll look at that. Because up to this moment, Jesus was the only one doing the miracles. He was the only one doing the healings. But now he was going to empower this 12 with the same power and authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out the demons. And in doing so, he would be able to minister to more people at the same time. And now through his disciples, this ministry, this, this message of the gospel would be able to extend quicker. It would be able to extend farther. And that's the very same thing, isn't it, that the work of the Holy Spirit is doing in us today? Remember, after his ascension, he would send the comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, and then the Spirit would be able to minister to many more people at the same time, and he would be able to do it globally. Think of what the Holy Spirit is able to accomplish through believers like you and I all over the world today. That is significant, and it's amazing. It's amazing. What did Jesus tell us in John chapter 16? He told us this, but now I go Away to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit of God. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And clearly God has the advantage, doesn't he? If men would only give their heart to Christ... He's got an advantage over the Satan and his dominion, over his demons. Of course he does. He always will because he's almighty God. And greater is he that is in you, Christian, than he that is in the world. Never shy away from darkness. Darkness ought to flee from you. Darkness needs to be afraid of who is in you. We don't need to be afraid of fear we don't need to be fearful and run from the darkness. 
we can stand right in front of it and the light of Christ will expel it. Remember who you are. Remember who we are. You are a Christian. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot. And notice how Jesus had them grouped two by two. Mark's gospel tells us that that's exactly what he did. He sent them out. He sent out the 12. Uh, he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two, gave them power over unclean spirits. And why did he send them out two by two? And why these certain people? Well, there were personalities between the two of these, and it's a mystery exactly why God paired this individual with this individual. But I can tell you one thing, that God knew what he was doing. And in the process of it, he was refining each other through those pairings that he had sent out. And why did, another reason, maybe, why, why did he send them out in pairs? Well, I'm really glad he did because they need encouragement. As you go out by yourself, you're going to need encouragement. Maybe he paired them up according to his knowledge of who they were, their temperament. Sometimes men may be working together in the ministry and their personalities, etc., don't work well together. I've seen that too. Where instead of unity, there's disunity because there's egos and, and issues in place. Why did he send them out two by two? Well, maybe even for their protection. They would be able to help each other if they got attacked by a lion <laughs> or someone came to them with a sword and tried to kill them. They could help each other and certainly for accountability to make sure that the things they were saying were true. To be a witness of the things that Christ was going to do and certainly for strength. They needed the strength. In Ecclesiastes, what does it tell us? One of these wonderful verses. Two are better than one because you have a good reward for their labor, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he fails or falls, excuse me, for he has no one to help him up. So these, back in our text now, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, nor into the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Notice who the gospel went out to first. It was the Jewish people of the house of Israel. In Romans it says, uh, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Notice, for the Jew first and also for the Greek or for the Gentile. In Acts chapter 3, Peter speaking to the Jews on the Temple Mount, he says, You are the sons of the prophets, speaking to the Jews, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, to you Jews first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. He sent him first to the house of Israel. And even in Romans, in verse 7 he says, He gives eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Notice, of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. No partiality. He loves everybody equally. He doesn't see skin color. He doesn't see any of that. He treats everyone the same. In Deuteronomy, he says this. He says uh, to the, the children of Israel before they came into the promised land, he says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. <laughs> so he chose them, and the Jewish people were the ones whom God chose to bring forth the Messiah through that, through that race of people, which the, script, uh, which the scriptures also came. The prophets were Jewish. The prophets were Jewish. With the exception of Luke, all the other scriptures are written by Jewish authors. 
The word of God came to us through the Jews. Jesus Christ came through the line of of the Jews. Again, not because they were anything special or great, but because they were small. But God made promises to Abraham when he called him out of the idol-worshipping nation of Iraq at the time, the Ur of the Chaldees. He made promises to him, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob and his descendants. And God was going to be sure to follow through on his promises. But they were the first ones to be sought out. In Romans 10, Paul speaking concerning the Jews' rejection of the gospel. He says, but they, but they have not all obeyed the, the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I made myself manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God used the Gentiles to provoke the the, the Jews. Because he cares. And then Paul and Barnabas, in, their, in Paul's first missionary journey in Acts 13, says, Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. He was speaking to Jews. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. So it was first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Jesus sends out his disciples to the Jew first. It's the right order. They were the ones who were given the oracles of God. It was through them that the Messiah came, the Messiah of the whole world, not just the Jewish Messiah, but the Messiah of the entire earth, of the whole world. And as you go, verse 7, back in our text, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Christ was there with them. But they would not have this man rule over them. They chose rather to reject him rather than to receive him. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely, again, notice, you have received, so freely give. And as Christians, we can only give out that which we have first received. And like the fat sheep that I am, I've been given a lot And it's my great pleasure to give out. Will you join me in that? Consider yourself the the great teaching that you've had under Pastor Jeff, and hopefully it's still continuing with with myself. But you know, we're, we're, we're taught well. And for us to be able to be taught well, there ought to be a replication. There ought to be a reproducing. Healthy sheep beget sheep. But when we're healthy and we're not reproducing, there's something wrong. And so Jesus is sending out his disciples saying, I want you to go out. See, you and I, we need to go out. We can no longer be silent in this world. The time is short, folks. We've got a very little time. And I don't want to sit here and and, and browbeat you into this. I just want to share with you, think of what God has done for you and what God has done for me. And it's so important that we continue in that because the first century church, that's what they did. And we can't be lax in that. We have to be focused on the gospel, on Jesus, letting him change our lives first. And notice what he says, provide neither gold nor silver, silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bags for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals or staves, for a worker is worthy of his labor or his food. So don't, carry, don't worry about those other things because I'm going to send you to places and you're going to heal and cast out demons and people are going to be very grateful and they're going to help you. Because when somebody has been delivered from a disease or been released from a demon, what is the natural response? They want to bless you for what, for what God has done through you. So don't worry about the other stuff. That's going to come. And it did. And it still does today. People who are in the church and go out and they, they get sent out when God uses them, they don't have to worry about anything. God takes care of his own. He pays. He takes care of. He pays for what he orders. 
and he still does it today. In Mark's gospel, Jesus, speaking to Peter, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. And then he throws in the thing we don't like, with persecutions. <laughs> I like the other thing because I can go over to Bulgaria and I know that there's a home that I can stay in and I can minister there and that's what we do at times. And, 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 and all over the world we have these opportunities. But then Jesus says, uh, but there's also persecution. I don't want to talk about that, Lord. I don't want to hear about that. We'll just take your permanent marker and take your Bible and go, I don't like that. <laughs> don't like the persecution part, but it's part of it. We don't have time to go there, but in 2 Kings 4, verses 8 through 10, we see the same thing played out in the Old Testament with Elijah, or Elisha, excuse me, a woman building a, a, a partition on the side of her house so this traveling itinerant preacher would have a place to stay. But verse 11, it says, Now whatever city or town you enter in, uh, ask who in it is worthy and, and stay there until you go out. And this idea of deserving or worthy is deserving. It literally means uh, a, a due reward, somebody who is suitable. And the world may treat you with disdain, but the Lord sees you, doesn't he, in a completely different way? Let's not forget because we will need to remember it for encouragement when the world beats you up. Do you remember who you are? I love what it says at the end of Romans chapter 11. It says that um, it goes through the hall of faith and all these different faithful men and women throughout the scriptures. But he says, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And still others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, destitute, of whom the world was not worthy. Same word here, worthy, as we see in the verse that we're in now. The world wasn't worthy of these people. See, God sees you so much differently than the world around you. The world sees you as a, as a, as a, as a flea that needs to be shaken off the dog. But God sees you as saying, your life is so important. The world is not even worthy of you. Because of what I'm doing in your life and the, what I'm going to use you for, the world is not worthy of you, Christian. And such is true for, I'm not worthy for God to even do this, to even work in my life, but he does. And I am thrilled when he gets to use me. Isn't it a thrill when God uses you? And you know it because if you, when you open your heart and you reach out and people respond in kind, or even if they don't, to know that God is working and, and then to see somebody light up for the first time when you're sharing with them and to see their heart opened and they start to cry and, and the floodgates come and you're like, oh my goodness, I am so privileged to be here to, to witness this breaking of a human heart. The breaking of the will of a human heart is even greater because my will needs to be broken. My will needs to be in alignment with his. I don't want my will to be done, but his. Isn't that what he said on the, when he was in the garden? He says, Lord, I know I, I, I'm not looking forward to this crucifixion, but that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is that you're going to leave me for a time. For the first time in all of my existence, there's going to be a separation between you and I. I don't want that. <laughs> if there's any other way, let it pass, but not my will, but your will be done. The world doesn't deserve beautiful people who have given themselves to the Lord to serve them. But he loves the world. He loves the people in the world. And he will use us because we are all beneficiaries of God's grace. Isn't that what grace is? It's undeserved. The world doesn't deserve it. I didn't deserve him invading my life. I didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. The world doesn't deserve it. But that's what grace is. Grace is something you don't deserve, something that happens to you that you could not earn. You can't deserve it. And notice back in our text, and when you go into a household, greet it, and if the household is worthy, let the peace, let your peace come upon it, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you, and whoever will not receive you nor hear your words 
When you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Yes, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for in the day of judgment than for that city. Now think about when Jesus was speaking this. He's in the New Testament. Sodom and Gomorrah had been judged a long time prior to that, back in Genesis. But he's speaking about a judgment of those people who were already judged in the physical, but he's also speaking about another judgment coming, right? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.27 that it's appointed for man once to die, and after this the judgment. And we know that there's a judgment for believers, It's not a judgment of salvation, but it's a judgment of rewards. We've looked at that quite a bit. But there is a judgment for those who have rejected Christ. Because we all pass away. We all die. But those who die in Christ will be resurrected with a new body. And the Bible also tells us that at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, that there is going to be another resurrection at the great white throne judgment, and that's the one that you and I aren't going to be at. Because we've already been resurrected and are with Christ, enjoying the fruits of our labors in Him. But there's that second judgment called the second death, where all of those who have died and gone to hell, their spirit and soul has gone to hell, God is going to resurrect those believers, or those unbelievers, excuse me, and bring them before the great white throne, and then from there they will finally be judged. And I believe that's the judgment that Jesus is speaking. In the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than those cities who refuse that message. And those at that white throne judgment, those unbelievers who have been spending some time in Hades already, will finally be judged in a physical body like you and I will have, except we're in glory. And they will spend an eternity in the lake of fire, never to be quenched of. And I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty horrible. But that's what the Bible says. You can read it in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. It'll be more tolerable. See, God loves people, and he wants to reach out to people. But he won't violate your own own will. (laughs) In the sense that you, you can choose to either accept Christ or deny him. And see, you and I, again, and finally, we're going to wrap this up and we'll take communion. The worship team can come on up. As... You know, God is, he loves people, and he's going to be working on them as he's working on, on us, too. He's working on people for them to make the decision. Do you want to be in heaven with Christ, or do you want to be in hell, separated from Christ for eternity? And those are the two decisions that are before every human being. And it's real, folks. And that's why Jesus would send out his disciples. Two by two, he would send them out because people need to hear the truth of what I just shared with you. And he began to send them out two by two, and he still is in the business of sending us out. That's what he wants from us, too to send us out. Are you willing to be sent out? And again, it may not be to a different country. It could just be in your own hometown, wherever it is. Are you willing, when you wake up in the morning, when you leave the house, are you willing to be a one who is being sent out for his purposes? Certainly doing your chores and those things, but as you go about that day, keep in mind there are people who need to hear the truth. They need to hear the gospel. Amen? What a blessing, isn't it? You know, I just wanted to say you guys have done a fantastic job today. <laughs> I know you don't need my thanks because your thanks comes from, 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 from the Lord, but I am just so blessed with this group. They, they're just sweet. It's just been really sweet. And so as they lead us in another song, if you could please just, when you're ready, come up and grab the elements, bring them back to your chairs, and we'll take the elements together, okay? And Paul, writing to the Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night 
in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This take, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do that. How could we forget, Lord? <laughs> we do this in remembrance of you. And notice, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's partake. Amen. It is a pleasure and a privilege to take communion with you this morning. Pray that you come with us or, or join us next uh, Sunday morning. It'll be a quicker service than normal. Um, if you could hold these and uh, put them in the baskets next to the door as you leave, that would be really helpful. But let's stand one last time. Thank you for this time together, Lord. Please encourage our fellowship as we dine together, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen.